Hello and welcome to episode three of the Chris Williams podcast. Uh, I want to thank Lindsay Finley and Dr. Matt Urban for being guests on the first couple of episodes. Uh, we are going to stay with the COVID-19 and coronavirus topic today. As I, I mean, come on, like I... It's what everybody's talking about. It's what everybody's thinking about. It's impacting us in so many different ways right now. And I want to get some different voices on here to discuss it. So we're going to have two podcasts this week. One of them is today with my uh, really good friend, Sage Rosenfels. He's a former Iowa State quarterback, former NFL quarterback. He is very opinionated, okay? And one of the reasons I wanted to launch this specific podcast is because I wanted to have the freedom to get away from just sports all the time. So we are going to talk some politics, We're, we, but the, it's all decency. Like it's all, uh, I say this in the podcast, but I, I'm going to be very upfront with everybody about who I am and what I am. And I feel like I always have been. I'm a pretty moderate guy. It seems um, I'm very liberal when it comes to social stuff in today's world. Um, but I, I voted for John Kasich in 2016. Okay. So like I'm there, it's all on the line. Y'all know it. Sage is a very liberal guy. He's very passionate about this. We don't make this about politics for an hour. I promise you. But I wanted to get a different perspective on this world that we're living in. Sage is very vocal on Twitter. He has a very large following on Twitter. Um, and this crosses over with a lot of my sports followers as well, who may be fans of Sage, maybe not like what Sage has to say all the time, but the guy will make you think. I promise you that. And that's why I wanted to have him on to discuss everything going on in our world. And we will do that coming up later in the week. And I was going to put these on two podcasts or on one podcast. I'm going to do it on two now because Sage and I went so long, but my, another old friend of mine, uh, another former Iowa State great, Allison Lacey, now Allison Otzelberger. Her and her family are actually stuck in Australia due to the coronavirus. Um, you know, I was actually just at their house in Las Vegas, what seems like two years ago, but it was just a couple of weeks ago, believe it or not. I was there uh, with TJ for the Mountain West Conference Tournament, and I'm going to talk with her about what it's like being on the other side of the world right now, not being able to get back home. They've got their three children there and um, get a different perspective on that. So that's what's coming up this week here on the podcast feed. Um, but here we go. Uh, a conversation about an hour long with former NFL quarterback, very opinionated Sage Rosenfels. So here he is, uh, excited to have Sage Rosenfels, my, I think we're, we've been friends a long time now. I think I can say that. How long have I known I, you? I, we're definitely, we're definitely, we're definitely friends for sure. Um, well, I've been out of the NFL for eight. Okay. So around I'm there. guessing probably that's when me and I, I moved back to Omaha. So I'm in, in, in uh, your neck of the woods over there in the Des Moines area. And so started coming on the show, started talking Iowa state stuff. And that turned into the radio show, which has been four or five years now uh, on Monday nights during the football season with Chuck Long uh, and Ross uh, Peterson. So uh, we, we, we talk a lot and then we also see each other on Twitter. It's sort of like <laughs> where you see all these people and what they have to say about whatever's going on in the world. And of course you're one of my main sources for, uh, paying attention to all the various things going on with Iowa State, so it's, it, it has been a nice since I've gotten to know you. It's been nice to be back in the Midwest, and and you're one of my um, uh, connections to Iowa State. Well, we, I think the first time I met you, you just like were randomly at our office that one day. You came by. You remember that? You were trying yeah, to like, pitch us some like idea. Yes, I was pitching you guys an idea. Uh, for like sort of a sort of a website or an app, it's a great idea. We could talk about that another time. It's still a great idea, like ten years later. Um, but that, that was probably the first time you met. That was uh, yeah, that probably was seven years ago, something yeah. like that. Eight, eight years ago, maybe, maybe even longer. Because um, I had that app idea when I was still at the end of my uh, career. So it's been a while. We've got to know each other a long time, and, and we've seen a lot of things, a lot of Iowa State things, world events. Uh, hung out at the, the bowl game this year and, and various other random uh, uh, places. So it, it's been, uh, I'm glad I 
randomly uh, became your friend, I guess. Yeah, amen to that. Well, you're. I wanted to get you on, so I, you probably didn't hear it. Um, the last one I did, uh, last podcast I did on this network was with a really good friend of mine. He's one of my best friends, Sage, and he, he's a, um, he's got a PhD from Iowa state. He studies infectious diseases. He's a yeah. veterinarian, but he, he gave a lot of really good perspective on COVID-19 and, and all that stuff. And that was about, I don't know, like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, maybe, and I just wanted you to bring should, you, you. You need to have him on like once a week. I, I think I'm going to actually. That's a really good point. Um, and, and and the reason I say that is this: so we're, we're dealing. We're, we're going to start of dive right into the COVID nineteen. Perfect. That's why I wanted to bring you on because I know how. But I here's the deal. Here, here here's the deal. I, I've learned in life. I'm 42 years old. Now I'm not an expert on uh, almost anything. I can't even say I'm an expert on quarterbacks or, you know, but that is the thing I know the most about. I did it uh, in high school. I did it in college. I did it for 12 years in the NFL. Uh, I've watched hours and hours and hours of film and, and had great coaching followers. Like that is what I know the most about. So I guess maybe I'm an expert in how offenses and defenses work and, and, and protections and those types of things. When I have an issue that I have to deal with, I look to the experts. Right. I don't ask my girlfriend who's a nurse about plumbing. I ask somebody that I know that's a plumber. All right. And if you know them uh, and you know that they're really good at what they do, then you really uh, listen intently on what they what they tell you. So I'm during this whole thing. There's a lot of people talking. There's all the news networks. There's mayors and governors and presidents. And all these, and a lot of people. Talk. I'm listening to the scientists. I'm listening to the scientists and to the doctors to the experts, to the people where this is what they do. And I think that's a great way to go about life. At least it is for me. Yeah. And that's kind of what's, I don't know, been a little bit troubling to me over the last couple of weeks. It's just like, first of all, I mean, I, I didn't bring you on here for us to just um, shit on president Trump for an hour. That, that wasn't my goal, but like, it, it was a concern to me, and I said this to a friend a couple of weeks ago when it felt like this all was starting. Uh, this is a man who doesn't believe in, you know, global warming. Windmills cause cancer. Yeah, so, and like, and that was a concern for me. Um, and it, it, I don't know, it kind of seems like, you know, his... Whatever happened in the Rose Garden yesterday, it seems like things are finally ramping up to we're going to take this really super seriously. But like, I'm, I don't know, like I, it's just been very unsettling. Uh, I'll put it that way. Uh, and I'm probably Listen, being a little I, more politically I, correct than you are, but I agree with you completely no, I, I'm listening to the scientists. <laughs> I'm listening to the scientists and I hope everyone else does. Um you know, the, the stuff that I see from the press conferences, uh, people asking questions using his own words and then him attacking them. He as, calls him a liar. Uh, be a liar. Or they're being nasty or they're being whatever. Um, you and I talk mostly about what? We talk about football. All right. We talk about Matt Campbell. Uh, from my playing days, it was Dan McCarney at Iowa State, much less all the various coaches I had in the NFL, from Marty Schottenheimer and Gary Kubiak and Tom Coughlin, you know, Kyle Shannon, various coaches uh, at all levels, high school too. And the leadership aspect of, of our team, of our football teams, of Matt Campbell's football team, it, it, it's like everything, right? Yeah. Uh, the Iowa State program, it's, it starts and ends sort of with Matt Campbell. Of course, Jamie Pollard, the athletic director, and there's a leadership thing there too. But what, what people in those positions, the way they lead, we almost all have a fairly uniform feeling of how that is. There's some positivity to it. There's some realness to it. Uh, there's some authenticity to it. Uh, there is respect for the, the opposition or and or their their own players and other coaches. The media there's this there's this thing that goes back and forth. We go, you know, that, that's a good football coach. Indecency. And we we decency. We expect so much of what uh, uh, of what a football coach says at the press conference. 
sometimes if they use the wrong word or the, maybe they say something, we turn into a story, you know, and occasionally they get into it with a media person, not very often, but occasionally, you know, you had the, I'm 40, uh, I'm a man, uh, press conference yeah, and Gundy. many over the years, you know, times where Bob Knight would be basically getting into it or maybe Belichick, maybe getting into it a little bit with a, but I, I've never seen this type of leadership, Trump's type of leadership ever have any sort of success. It's always been a dumpster fire. It is a thousand percent of the time, a dumpster fire when you split everyone down the middle and you say it's the defense's fault or it's the offense's fault or it's the management. I've seen issues when the management doesn't get along with the coaching staff uh, in the NFL. When people try to uh, separate themselves and go, it's their fault and the word, it always ends in a dumpster fire. And I look at the leadership of the president or the a governor or a mayor or whatever. We're all in this thing together. And I think nothing's ever... Uh, proven the point more than this virus that we are all in this thing together. We're only as strong as our weakest link or our weakest link of the you know people that still are hanging out in groups of 30 in someone's basement, throwing their own parties or something like we're all in this together and dividing us, uh, which it seems like is what he tries to do at every instance always ends up in a dumpster fire. And uh, I, 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 about uh, with, with how much football people, uh, you know, everyone follows some politics for the most part, but people, we expect so much the leadership of our football coaches at press conferences, the way they talk to their team, the way they talk to people, the people skills and how we respect that. Uh, and then to think that, you know, that those same characteristics should follow over to me into political characteristics of what leadership is. And uh, I'm just not seeing that. I've never seen that out of this president. That's the troubling part to me though, is just like how this got political. Like, it just seems like what, what you're saying seems like common sense to me. It doesn't like this virus. It doesn't really give a crap who you voted for, who you caucus for, or if you wear red or blue on election day, but somehow like it, it, this this was my read on the whole thing. Okay, I so when this started, I I went into the studio one day and I said to Ross, I go, I don't think Trump's in charge. And he's like, What do you mean? I go, because that first press conference he gave, I go, that was so unlike him. I go, I think like the adult, the adults in the room may have taken over here. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the stock market like had its worst like three day stretch in, in history or whatever it was, maybe since the depression at least. And it seemed like, okay, something, something clicked. And then it got very political on both sides after that. And I feel like we've just been like on the spinning hamster wheel ever since. Well, I think uh, the, uh, the probably Democrats are more trying to make sure everyone realizes that Trump said, this is not a big deal. This is not a big deal. We got under control for a really long time. Yeah. And it seems like to me, Trump and people that support him uh, in the politics world are trying to act like he was way out in front of this thing. And thank God for him that if he wouldn't have acted earlier on, you know, I guess uh, stopping flights from China or whatever. Here's the fact, but the fact is, All right. The fact is, is that we are going to skyrocket over these other countries. We are skyrocketing over China. Numbers from yesterday. I mean, talking about 100. The numbers that they're looking at now. um, uh, I can't think of that. Is it Dr. Burks, uh, the, the, the woman who is also one of the doctors? I think she used to work at Walter Reed or something. She's talking about 200,000 deaths if everything goes well. Jesus. And at the same time last night, our, our president was talking about his numbers as far as how many people are watching his press conferences and they're like The Bachelor and Monday Night Football. Yeah, it was a repulsive tweet. So I don't... Um, I'm just trying to figure out uh, where we're at right now. It's very discouraging um, from that aspect. And I hope can people can start to go like, what the heck is going on here? This is not, you know, 
Um, I understand people are looking for different, you know, when people, and I had friends for years say like, we should have a, a business person in the white house. All right. You know, the government needs to run, be more run like a business and blah, blah, blah. And I understand that. That makes sense. I was always sort of curious myself. Um, but there are certain types of business people, businessmen, business women. And you know, the one that's been sued and gone bankrupt, sued thousands of times and gone bankrupt a whole bunch of times, casinos, stakes, uh, a university he got sued for $25 million. That's not the type of businessman that I'd like in the, in the white house. It's some other type of business person, you know? Um, and I just think there's just been a massive, uh, sort of con man selling of goods. It's always, you know, everything, anything good happened, that's because of him. Anything that bad happened it's somebody else's fault. Again, you never hear that type of leadership from football coaches, uh, from teachers, from anyone in our society that we deem as a leader, but yet that's what's, that's, that's what's going on in the White House. I just wish, and, and this is both parties, this is for all of our nation's leaders, the, the part that bothers me the most, I guess, is there just seems like any more, and this, it's been this way for a while, it's not just under the, the Trump presidency, but I, I think that like if I had one big critique of our democracy in 2020, nobody will step outside the aisle for anything, it seems like. I mean, John McCain, is he had that heroic moment where he, and it was such a big deal because somebody actually did it, right, with the healthcare thing. But it's yeah. just like, I, I just, like, of all the, you know, GOP senators, like, there's there's nobody, you know, who will step up and be like, okay, we we need to do something different. Like, the on the April 12th deal, like, we all knew that was not realistic, right? Like, I mean, it's I, funny. Was this I, I, morning? This morning, I was looking at my calendar and I was like, <laughs> "When is Easter?" And I was like, I, "And I was, I, I thought it was, I thought it was like April twenty sixth. No. I thought it was two weeks after that." And I was like, "Oh, it's April twelfth this year." It's, it's like, yeah, uh, he really had. I guess he's being very hopeful. And again, but these. You know, what does the salesman do, though? It always, you know, you watch a late night uh, a show and they're trying to sell you something on TV and it's oversell, oversell, oversell all the time. This is the greatest. This is the best. This is what's going to happen. Oversell, oversell. And then when it doesn't happen, then you just blame somebody else. And it seems like that was just one of those classic, you know, I'm just going to oversell everything to you. Probably just to keep the stock market from, from taking who knows what. But, you know, again, scientists, the pe- I'm trying to go with the facts, is it with, like the actual facts, the actual numbers, the, you know, taking my own information. And uh, I, I've actually stopped watching that press conference, by the way. And you, you see enough highlights, you know, on Twitter or wherever else afterwards. But those things to me um, have become extremely dangerous. Yeah. Um, for what it's worth, too, I mean, I, I, the the worst part of this is the is the healthcare workers, right? Yeah. I, I was thinking about this over the weekend. So we just got through um, the nine eleven first responders, right? And there are a lot of them who are having these complicated health issues mm. ten years down the road, based off of being on ground zero, right? And that wasn't anybody's fault. They were there doing their job, but they were wanting to be compensated and being taken care of at the end of their life because of what they did for our country. Yeah. And I was, they, they, they went into a situation not knowing what could happen to them, but probably knowing this isn't good. Correct. Like you sort of know, you know, if you're an EMT or a fireman or you're uh, a police officer, you know, when you walk into a burning building or there's just all that dust in the air, you know, that's going to have some sort of long-term effects uh, to your health. So I was thinking over the weekend, and we have no idea how this is going to end up with all of our nation's healthcare workers, but like, I don't know, my mind started to wonder, like, is there going to be something like that? Not necessarily a long-term deal, but let's say, um, you know, if, if you have a loved one who dies, could there be, um, and, and they weren't given the proper protection with masks or, you know, you know, whatever it might be, that stuff's all over my head. I was just, I was thinking about like, do they have, 
you know, cases to be made against our government down the road? Um, I don't know. Or is it, uh, you know, because I, these I, hospitals are private or what, but I, I was, I'm just thinking long-term here because this is going to end at some point, And I worry that we're not going to properly take care of these people. Yeah. I mean, will they be able to sue the, the government for not having, um, I don't know the things necessary to be prepared. I don't know. I don't know if they probably, uh, uh, if they could, I do know this. Um, my girlfriend's a, a nurse anesthetist. All right. So she basically, you know, she's one of those people that puts you to sleep. Um, does, you know, does all sorts of various things, but you know, when you go to sleep, you, a lot of times you put on a ventilator. All right. And they, you know, the nurse anesthetist is what they call, they're the airway people. They, they're the ones who are the best at, uh, sticking, uh, you know, an airway, uh, thing down your throat and then, you know, hooking up this machine and, and it breathes for you as you know, you're doing some sort of surgery on your body. And every time she does that, uh, she, the person a lot of times spits up. Uh, and also when you take that thing out, when the thing's all done, they also a lot of times spit up. You're literally dealing with somebody's mouth and saliva and all those types of things. Um, she has one N95 mask man, that her friend gave her because she had taken some from the hospital like five, a couple of years ago, I think to like, uh, uh, paint her bathroom. And so she had like three or four extra ones. And so my girlfriend has one of those masks and she uses it uh, because the hospital only has enough masks for the people who they definitely know have coronavirus or definitely have the symptoms. So she's working and she's doing a, some, some other sort of surgery. Somebody needs to have a brain surgery or back surgery or whatever it might be that they have to do right now. If they don't have the symptoms, they don't test for it. They only have so many tests. So, she doesn't know. So she's, she has this one mask that, that the hospital did not give her. They, they're not meant for her yet. Um, and she asked, you know, it's for a lot of these doctors and nurses, it's a game of Russian roulette, which one of these, you know, which one's going to get it because it's, I don't know what the numbers are. I think it's, I think it's 10 to 20% of the nurses they expect to get coronavirus. Right. So, um, they're the front, they're the soldiers on this. I know they, they, they truly are. They are the soldiers on this thing who are sacrificing their lives. But we wouldn't throw a soldier on the front lines without a gun or proper. That's exactly right. Or proper but that's armor. what we're doing. But you know, we do some of that also in the military. We do sometimes put them out there with not the right equipment. You know, I remember during the Iraq war, sometimes it wasn't the right type of Hummer or they you know, they didn't have yeah. for the IEDs and You're things right. like that. Or right. So sometimes we, but this is a situation where um, we all knew it. I mean, I shouldn't say we all knew. Bill Gates in 2015 did this long talk about the next big war America is going to have to fight is a pandemic. And it was not if, but when. Um, and to, to not have uh, at least those masks, but some, you know, a lot of the other things, prepare, of all the preparation we do, I would set with a $700 billion for the military every single year for all the preparation that we do to not have, um, some money go towards preparation against a enemy. That's not, uh, another country or another army, but, um, but you know, something like this to me seems inexcusable. I got to think if, uh, uh, you know, we have all these smart people and, and all this money going to all these different places, I mean, uh, I, I better hope that there's a, a lengthy budget uh, for pr- preparing for the next one of these because there'll be one, you know, not too often or distant future, I imagine. Well, even that, um, so the guy who I think's been a real star uh, is this Dr. Fauci. I mean, this guy, this guy's been everywhere. He's been in some really bad spots uh, as far as, um, you know, I mean, directly contradicting uh, the president, or I guess I should say the president directly contradicting him. And he's still going on all these shows. And I I think that he's been a real uh, bastion of hope for, for everybody in our country. I know he has been for me, my wife and I will, um, if we know he's going to be on a a different program or whatnot, we'll, we'll record it. We, we just, we respect him that much. Um, But I, I, I don't know. Like I, I'm the 
stuff he's been saying about how this is probably going to have another like strand to it coming around this fall. I just don't see an aspect. I have two takes here. I have one. I don't see an aspect. And when like after this, we're not ready. Like again, adults in the room, let's be adults. Let's figure this out. Put your politics aside. Let's get ready for round two and two. Like, and this is where we can kind of transfer into like, well, football happened this year. Cause I really want to pick your brain on that. Like this, here's my theory, man. Like, no, Okay, let me. Okay, so that's where you're at. Let me, let me, let me paint it this way, and then we'll see what you think. Okay, then I'm gonna let you respond. We have all this money, and all of these brains going into one um, purpose right now. Mm -hmm. Like, I just have a hard time believing that we're not gonna like just human beings are not going to rise above and figure this thing out sooner than what we thought. And I'm not saying necessarily like a cure or a vaccine, but like the antibody drugs, that type of stuff that I've been reading about. Yeah. Just, I, I'm a big believer in human ingenuity, Sage. And like when everybody's working toward the same thing, I think good things can happen. Well, the scientists are going to figure this out. It sure as heck ain't the politicians or the... Correct. Um, you know... Um, or, or the CEOs, it's going to be the actual scientists and, and how that is if they do come up with a medicine or, you know, what this uh, hydrochloroquine and, and Z-Pack type of thing, how that mix ends up. We don't know, but the scientists will figure out. It's going to take some time. Um, at the very worst, I got to think we have to somehow get through maybe 18 months until a full-on vaccine occurs. Um, but to me, it's all about testing in a sense of if we could, I mean, we literally need, I think like billions of tests because we're all going to want to get tested multiple times. Like I should be able right now, it'd be nice to like have a test delivered to my house or even go pick one up somewhere and just test myself. Like imagine if it was that easy that I could test myself. And I do hear they're coming up with it. like 75 minutes test at this point but no the there's science, like a, there's actually new today sage there's like a five minute one yeah so can the, but can the science then somehow mass produce that so we all can get tests so if you want to know how football occurs um i think it's if literally we're to the point where you can literally like test yourself before before you go out for practice you know or before yeah. you go out for a game or however that works so to, if you want to take part in this group exercise you got to take a test and what are those costs and yeah in the nfl they do obviously have the money more than anybody to create a system like that so even if they had games with no fans which we would all watch absolutely right i mean well people are i mean it would talk about crazy ratings you know people would all be Uh. watching these football games um, even with no fans in the stands, right? I mean, people don't realize the NFL model is not like baseball where the money comes from the, a lot of the tickets and the local stuff. It's the national networks. It's the TV that makes up the vast majority of the NFL income stream every single year. So that would be, to me, the only way we get back to having things like this is if the athletes first, the athletes go on and they can somehow take a test, be clear and then everyone can know they're, they're clear to play the, the sport. But how you get 80,000 fans into a stadium and do that, I don't know how possible that is anytime soon. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the fans. I, I just don't know with that. But I just – I'm at the point right now where even like the NBA playoffs and Major League Baseball, like first and foremost, our priority has to be these healthcare workers. I'm very passionate about that. I think any rational human being would agree. Um, but once – once we can get these tests, you know, these mass produced tests, I actually, I think I can make an argument and I want to throw this to you as a former professional athlete. So just, you're not a football player. Say you're, uh, you're the sixth man for the Milwaukee Buccaneers. Okay. Or the, yeah, the Milwaukee Buccaneers, man, I'm thinking football, the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> um, I, I think that I could make a point as a, as a sports fan who's also, a father who is, I don't, I, I really hesitate to use the word trapped, but I feel trapped sometimes inside of this house with two children under the age of five and a wife who can't mm-hmm. stand to look at me. 
Uh, Let's get, we'll get to that section in a second. We will talk about yeah. our new lives in this current state. But I, I, I could make a point here. With the money, the, the so these leagues need to play because they have financial and the and the networks need them to play. There's all the money involved. This isn't about the money, but I can make a point though, for the general public good. If we can figure out the testing, if we can find a way to make it safe, I think there's a real social responsibility for the NBA and Major League Baseball to get back to work as soon as it's responsible to do so. I don't care about having fans. But I do think it would help this country and the world even um, kind of cope with the brutal circumstances that we've been given. What do you think about that? Well, sports is a and, – and I think about this as I, you know, I do my Minneapolis radio shows uh, and, and things like these from my house. As again, like as my girlfriend and people I know, nurses and doctors are going in, you know, in very scary situations and, and you know – why am I doing this isn't important. And of course it's not at all. Right. Like we're, we're talking about things where other people are dealing with, with terrible situations, but sports are a unifying thing in this country. I, I think that they're the, they're the best reality show we have, you know, almost everybody watches TV in our culture. And there's a lot of things on TV. Uh, there's shows where there's writers and directors and it's all, you know, pre-scripted. And then there's quote, you know, quasi reality shows, whether it's making food contests or, you know, the survivor type of stuff or whatever it might be. And then there's sports. And to me, sports are the real reality show because the real reality is both teams want to win. Uh, the, the athletes are putting everything they can into, uh, you know, being a champion or winning the whatever. And you really get to see the highs and the lows. And I think that does connect our towns, our cities, our fan bases, it connects people that we're all in this thing together. Um, and it gives us also a break away from general life. And, and people seem to like you know, that escape. But one of the reasons football is so popular is because it is the perfect amount of um, investment, time investment. I mean, it's really three to four hours once a week during the fall. And then the rest of it is a lot of conversation leading up to the next one. Baseball is like every single day. If you watched every baseball game for the Cubs or Twins or somebody, man, that's a ton yeah. of investment. And people just don't have that much, that much time. So In the past, you know, they didn't. In the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they listen to it on the radio, right? <laughs> they listen on the radio as they did their work or whatever. So, um Anyway, but that, you know, sports are a, a nice breakaway from from all this reality. So it'd be nice to have something that we did talk about as we were still practicing, uh, you know, uh, the social distancing. And and my thing about putting people back in stadiums is this: is if you know, if we do that to make money and to have this sort of breakaway from our daily lives. But it post, but it puts more nurses and more doctors at risk, and they're going to have to work more and deal with more COVID patients. I'm against it. Well, no, I'm saying you without know? fans. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, does I'm that say- make sense? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Without without fans. But what about but, like but, what the NBA's tossing around? Like where you know all these Vegas casinos are shut down, and they're saying like we're going to bring every team in the playoffs. And we're going to, you know, have everybody tested and they're going to be under one roof and we're going to play the playoffs. And maybe the playoffs start like the NCAA tournament at nine o'clock in the morning and we play until midnight. And yeah, I don't, that does, I, I'm all about that. If the NFL can find a way to do it, the NBA can find a do it team, you know, sports teams can find a way, you know, but we need, we need tests for nurses right, right. now. Correct. Right. I mean, yeah, do, you, do, you know, do you know how, do you know how nice it would be for a nurse to be able to take a test before absolutely. he or she goes home from work so they can be around their kids? No doubt. And because I think listen, that, does that make sense? Yeah. They have to be put first. There's no doubt. There's no question. I'm saying like maybe three weeks down the road though, let's say that this testing thing is in a much better spot than it is right now. I think it's going to be. Yeah. That, that's where I'm at with this. I just think that people are going to start to go crazy. And if I'm a professional sports league right now and they need that revenue too like let's not pretend that this isn't about money like there's a lot that goes into this i don't know i think that the conversation will change drastically in the next two three weeks as far as that goes 
I, I think it absolutely will. And uh, I think at some point people will be interested in something like that. Again, when they have the test, you know, so many professional athletes uh, and, you know, we're going to see more and more famous people come down with this thing. You know, John Prine, uh, one of the great, great songwriters, musicians, um, one of my favorites, uh, he, I hear he's currently in critical condition. And, uh, you know, there's some, there's going to be some, a lot of people out there uh, who are, we're going to, you know, sadly enough, pass away, I think, because of this thing in, in the coming months. Just and saw so, one of my all-time favorites died yesterday from it, uh, Joe Diffie. I, I, you don't sense me to be a big Joe Diffie guy, but <laughs> did you hear about him? 61. He died, I, he died No, yesterday. I did not. Yeah. No. He died yesterday from it. Uh, really sad stuff. Only 61 years old. So, yeah, I mean. I mean well, listen, if, if we have 140,000 people, 160,000 people who have it as we speak on this Monday morning, uh, and they're expecting 100 to 200,000 deaths, we really are at the beginning of this thing. The very, very beginning of it. And people need to find a way to um, deal with it and deal with this reality. It's going to be like this for a while. And um, what I've been trying to do is rather than complain and uh, think of all the things I don't have, like we don't have sports, we don't have this, I can't go to the gym, I can't, I actually have gone the complete other direction and really realized, I feel like what all the things I do have. Um, I do have my family who are all currently healthy and we FaceTime. I'm glad we have FaceTime. Uh, I'm glad my kids are healthy. You know, my kids, we live in the suburbs so my kids can go outside and, and, and play in the yard and, and I don't have to have a full-time job. Uh, you know, like a lot of people do who are working in the house all day with kids and what do you do with these kids? And, and I'm out, you know, taking bike rides and trying to do as much as, you know, uh, I can with my kids. I am, you know, I, my sister who has a disability, she was in a car accident when I was in eighth grade. She had a brain injury. She is currently living with me, uh, over the course of the last two weeks because I got to get away from my parents, uh, in Iowa city. So, uh, I'm looking at all the things that I do have. Cause I, again, I think having the girlfriend gives me perspective of, you know, people are really, you know, soldiers in this thing right now. And, and, uh, people love to complain about this, that, and the other, but man, look what all we do have. And I think making changes for our country right now is uh, for our world right now, people just maybe think about life a little bit differently. Uh, you know, it could be one of the positives that comes out of this whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, just kind of to wrap things up with you, you are a really interesting um, follow on Twitter. Like, um, I I just want to be full. I'm I'm always trying to be transparent with everybody. I'm a, I'm a, I would consider myself a moderate. I lean socially left. Oftentimes, I'm probably fiscally a little bit right. I was a John Kasich guy in 2016, so I again I just kind of leave everything on the table for people, and so do you. And you're you're much more liberal than me. But um, I always respect your opinions, even if I don't agree with them, because I know how much time you put into the issues and you you pay attention to things. You read a lot. You are educated with 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 how you do it. But you're not supposed to like sports. You're not supposed to be a sports guy like you are, a former NFL quarterback and have opinions on politics. Age. I've been told that for time, time and time again to stick to sports. You don't stick to sports. Where did um, where did this come from? This. I, I don't even want to call it a persona. This is who you are, and you're very open, it is who and I am. very authentic about it. Where, what, at what point did you decide I'm going to jump in, no fear, and and this is going to be you know what I present to the public? Well, I, I feel like this is probably a chapter in a book somewhere that I'll probably never write. Um, I'll but, go you know, my it. Pa- That's fine. <laughs> my, uh, my my parents. Uh, I grew up with I, I guess sort of hippie parents in Eastern Iowa. They were definitely different than the norm. You know, my, my parents graduated high school in 1965, so they were like, you know, college, post-college Vietnam War. Uh, you know, they were protesters of that war. They didn't think it was uh, right for us to, you know, be over there. And I think they sort of end up being right. Uh, for most people would agree they end up being right in that scenario that we should not have been in, in Vietnam. And so I think from a young age, there was that type of atmosphere in my house of, uh, a little bit more anti-establishment, I guess. Um, and my dad, we, we would talk sometimes politics at the table, but a lot of times current events. I liked watching the news growing up. I mean, I loved watching Tom Brokaw and Dan Rather at, you know, 530 
you know, during the week and then the local news would come on at six. And so I like current events in high school. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not a big reader of long 500 page books, uh, but I love reading articles, uh, and, and, and sort of keeping up of what's going on. I guess I just like information. And so, uh, I didn't, I started social media at the end of my NFL career. I didn't have any, you know, Facebook, uh, or Instagram or anything like that. Twitter when I was playing. So when I got done, I started, started it. And of course, sort of stuck to football probably initially in particular on Twitter. Uh, and then occasionally I would do maybe something I don't want to call it political, but expressing my opinion about something involved in politics or something. And, and, and some people seem to really like it. And also some people seem to hate it. And then I get to stick to sports type of thing. And, and over time, uh, I just realized it, it felt good for me to uh, say the things that are on my mind um, because, and I, and I try to, you know, I'm trying to do this thing out of the, um, I care about other people. I don't just care about myself and I'm super, super fortunate in my situation that I don't have to have a full-time job. I don't have to have a boss. I don't have to, uh, co- uh toe the company line because I can make more money. You know, it, I could probably make more money if I didn't talk about politics ever. Uh, but in my current situation, uh, because of my career, I just am very, very fortunate that I, that I don't, um, again, have to have that boss. And so it's allowed me to sort of express my feelings and I try to do it, uh, in a way again. And, and what's weird about being raised with my parents is I ended up being a football player and there's not, it's sort of a different mentality. They're almost opposites in some ways, you know? Yeah. Um, And I think that, did you ever have problems in an NFL locker room? I feel like it would be very conservative. Um, no, it was a mix. Uh, I don't know what the numbers would break down to be, but I would definitely say white guys were more conservative and and black guys were, were more liberal. Um, and I was one of the more liberal white guys. Uh, and there are other white guys for sure that were, you know, as liberal as I am or more. Uh, so the, the NFL locker room or a college locker room is truly all over the map. Uh, in college, people almost never talk about politics, but in the pros, people get in the conversations. And I love having conversations with, because there's an authenticity there of who you are, like Zach Thomas and I, he and I became good friends. I just saw him a few months ago uh, when I was down in Miami and, and we used to talk about politics. He's from Texas, you know, comes from a very conservative family, but like Zach is the greatest dude of all time. Zach really liked me. We got along really, really well. And then the conversation would go to politics and we loved our conversations because they know we both knew the other person was coming from a, a, uh, a certain spot of honesty and a certain spot of um, just trying to like, you know, make this society a better place for us to, to live in, you know? Um, and so I think those types of relationships, the conversations I loved having with people as you both sort of contr- you know, try to convince the other person of this or this, that, and the other. And, and, uh, it's just, um, it's, it's something that I've always enjoyed talking about. So when people like, you know, as a football person, you shouldn't talk about politics. I'm like, well, what, just let the politicians talk about politics. Well, I guess. And it's kind of contradictory because you know, a lot of those same people who will say that are the same ones who go to, Oh, we don't want a politician in the office. You know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly <laughs> yeah. right. Or, or like, I guess no electricians can talk about politics either. Like, who? What, what is Twitter then? I mean, yeah. it's like nobody can talk about politics. I guess at that point, because you know, just like I was a football player, just like as you're a broadcaster, just like you know, there's all these different. Everyone has a as a real gig, and politics is, is something that we actually are should all talk about. You know, if you go to to these a lot of times these cities in, in Europe or different places, they talk. That's what the people do. They walk down to the local, you know, coffee shop, the old men, and they sit there and they have coffee and they all talk about politics. And, yeah, and they're you know, probably not the people. They're probably not yelling at each other either. They're not. And they all, they're, they're best friends that have difference of opinions. But um, my opinion of the, the American political system, the, the, the issue, I think that there's, there's not one issue that fixes the whole thing. But I think to fix anything, you have to start with one issue. And that is money in politics. Yeah. Money needs to get out of politics. And I don't know how it happens because the money is making the rules of the politics. So the money is not going to make the rules to, to you know, excuse itself in the room. Um, but 
it is basically forcing all the politicians to take a side on every issue. And it's a lot of times and many times it's, you know, it's because they're being supported by a massive amount of money, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars being, being pulled in from these different spots to vote on things that make the biggest money possible happy. And that just does not feel like any sort of democracy to me or Republic or, you know, what do you want to describe? Uh, you know, the, the United States as that feels like money is it's all about who has more money and not about who, who, you know, um, has the actual just of voters and, uh, money does basically buy votes in a sense. It buys a lot of commercials. It buys a lot of influence and makes politicians all vote a certain way because, Hey, if you don't vote this certain way, we're not going to give you $50,000 your next election. They need all this money for their elections. We, I feel like we just have to create a way. Uh, to get as much money uh, from politics completely removed, shorten the campaign season yeah. to, I don't know what it is, six months or something like that. I mean, if you're a congressman every two years, you're campaigning 365 for the entire time. You never stop campaigning and trying to raise money for the next one in two years. Make that, that thing only six months or something very, very short and just change the way they do that. I know people want term limits and or the electoral. There's a lot money has to get out of politics before we can have a conversation about health care, uh, or we can have a conversation about military, or have a conversation about why we're not uh, prepared for this pandemic that every a lot of people knew was just bound to happen at some point. Uh, we have to get money out of, of, of politics, in my opinion. Yeah, and you know the one thing that I find that's difficult with me for on Twitter is I, I don't get nearly as political as you do on there. One, but there's a lot of reasons, but um, I just like a lot of the responses and stuff. Like I, I this is a major problem I, I see is just like, we just have so many people who don't care about facts. Uh, yeah. That's, it, and that's, it's just well, like, that, that, listen, you, that, that started, that started on inaugural inauguration day. Yeah. You, you know, biggest, he, you know, Spicer was told, go out there and say, this is the biggest, uh, uh, you know, of all time. And it absolutely wasn't. And it, you know, that's when Kellyanne Conway said alternative facts. And like, that was the beginning of this thing. But you can't have facts, conversations. Facts with people do like matter. You can't. No, you can't. You can't. That's true. You cannot have conversations with people who don't care about facts at all. But like, how do you um, deal with that then? You just like, you just blow them up. Is that like, you're just going to, is that your goal? Like, when you like will quote retweet somebody like that, I, I generally get a chuckle out of it. But like, what <laughs> well, is going so, through your so mind when came, you do when you do that? So just so you know, if I say something sort of controversial or you know, like if I get, let's just say I do a tweet and it gets five hundred likes and eighty retweets, okay. But like twenty people attack me, I'll take those all day long, right? Because the way I look at it, a lot of people agree with that tweet and disagree with it. Now, of the 20 people that attack me, I get to choose which one I get to attack back. Because <laughs> yeah. you come at me with your, like you're a, you're a jerk and it's Y-O-U-R. You're like that. <laughs> yeah. Those are <laughs> or you're an idiot. That's usually what it is. You're an idiot. Yeah. Y-O-U-R. There's also a lot of attacks that are absolutely some sort of either, you know, um, it's a Russian bot or a fake person but it's amazing how many times I see these various people attack me, quote unquote people <laughs> attack me who have no followers or two followers or the, the account was made yesterday or it has 25 numbers after the person's name and no picture. You would not believe how often that happens to me. I'm not sure how much you see that, but I think there is a ton of that out there. And, uh, I'm not, you know, exactly sure what that is. And, and, um, you know, and some, some of those situations or people are just sort of mean to me and like, you're just, they're just mean. I've, I've gotten, you know, blocktober has turned into a 365 day a year thing for me. So I don't need people just being the absolute jerks on, on, uh, you know, uh, a, a part of my life in any way. I've had to, I haven't toned down, but I've, I've thought about it just, just strictly for my mental health. Like I, the I the Twitter thing like I I love it and I've kind of gotten to the point where I mean 
at this point, like my reach is about like, hey, it, it could always grow, but I feel like it's as big as it is. Like I'm, I'm in Iowa, central Iowa, primarily most people know what they're getting with me. Right. So I don't really shock many people with like the way that I think, and I'm not really shy about giving my opinions anymore. So I, it's, it's different than you because you're, you're, you've actually become a political figure in our country with your, with your following and whatnot. You endorse Pete Buttigieg. I don't know about, no, I, I think don't you know have. about I, I do. I mean, you're how many followers do you have right now? Like when you put something out, you have hundreds of thousands of followers. I mean, you're impacting. I don't. I have, I have 57,000 followers or something like that. And I and I actually uh, was going to say, I feel like I'm not that I'm tapped out of it, but I'm just not going to be one of those people that has hundreds of thousands of followers or millions of followers or, you know, I am living in the burbs of Omaha, Nebraska, raising my kids. I do some radio shows. I write some articles. Yeah, well, I call them we, a, a game. Wait till we launch a you know. Yeah. Well, if I got a Joe Rogan style podcast, I, you know, I have been asked to do a lot of podcasts in the last couple of years. And, and I've always thought a sort of a sports slash politics podcast, because I think there is a lot of, uh, uh, uh synergy there. Uh, I know it sounds crazy, but you know, Sports, leadership, uh, all those types of things. Facts. Go tell a football coach facts don't matter. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, like your stats do matter. You know, if some team got ran on for 400 yards, you can't say we did a great job stopping the run. But that sort of seems like what's going on in politics right now. So I think there's a lot of leadership and things that could be a really good podcast uh, for those who want to get into sports and a, a mix of politics, but it doesn't come from an angle of like blaming this other side or that sort of yeah. more hateful talk. But I think very conversational and, and getting experts on there. Uh, and then also maybe getting the occasional political figure to more talk about sports and the actual politics themselves. I think that would be uh, just maybe show the other side of politicians a little bit. Um, and, and then also show the other side of athletes a little bit who do have some opinions on, you know, politics or, uh, just different things that they're working on that has nothing to do with the sports that they actually are are known for. This was fun. Um, I promise uh, as long as you're willing, we will do it again. Cause I feel like you and I probably could have done like six of these on different topics. Yeah. Yeah, well, as I said, as I say, we were we were we had talked about maybe getting into like what what you do at home, and you got young kids over there. Um, I pray for you. Thank you, uh, and all my I need friends. The you know, I promise. I I had kids early. Uh, when I, my son, I was twenty three, so he's now eighteen. I have a daughter who's fifteen, daughter's ten. So, you know, the eighteen fifteen year old, they don't need a lot of dad attention. Um, you know, they, they have enough things going on. They're fully in school now from home. And so they're super busy actually. They have homework all day. And, you know, then my son and I will go full walk nine holes of golf or I'll play. Uh, but the 10 year old does take more work. She, uh, need, needs help maybe with, with lunch sometimes still, or she wants to play. I got to keep her busy. And I really realized I am currently the PE teacher, uh, for my kids. Uh, and I'm also their, you know, sort of coach in a sense, my job, I need to, we're all as parents have to find ways to get our kids outside, mm-hmm. get them active. We're lucky that summer's coming up pretty soon. Um, and that we have to get outside every day. Our kids are used to being social. They are used to being active. We've sort of subcontracted that out, to, uh, you know, coaches and teams and leagues and dance studios and cheerleading this. And, and now they can't do that. And so that's a, a big responsibility for us as parents and, you know, for young kids, uh, I just can't imagine people who are currently dealing with young kids sort of stuck in the house or in an apartment in New York city. Um, I just could not imagine. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of my blessings over here and uh, feeling how lucky that I am that, you know, I can tweet what I want can come on, do some radio shows. And I still have enough time to, uh, spend a lot of time with my kids during this, this very, very trying time. Yeah. My biggest problem too, is it's actually been a blessing. The time, the extra time with the kids, I've, I've really enjoyed it, especially with my seven month old. She was born, you know, a couple weeks before football season. So I, I want to say I missed out because I, I'm not gone that much, but I, I certainly was probably not as, um, focused on her as I would have been, had she been born, you know, in the summer or the, in the spring, and um, it's been really good bonding with her. The most difficult part for me, and I think a lot of parents can probably understand this who are listening, is when you're trying to 
still, I'm still trying to run a business and do my radio show as well while having the kids here seven days a week. And it's not like my wife is at home. She, she's a veterinarian. That's a world where, uh, like you said about your girlfriend, Sage, being in the healthcare field, I feel like I've gotten a unique perspective seeing this through her eyes as, um, as a veterinarian because they're um, behind the scenes, very involved when it comes to helping get medical equipment. Um, and, you know, and even some really bad scenarios and thank God we're not here yet. And hopefully it doesn't get there. Um, you know, when you look to Italy and whatnot, uh, there's veterinarians who are helping care for people who, mm-hmm. you know, because it's gotten that bad. So um, all hands on deck. Yeah. And we might be a few weeks from there. By the way, being that we're in the Midwest, we might get spared. We will get spared, I would think, compared to these, these really big, dense cities. Plus, we're just really spread out here. You know, we like the suburbs here. We like our space. But people that live in these big cities, um, it's gonna get. It's gonna be scary, I think, in the next few weeks. And. Um, Again, you know, we, you and I, we talked about the, the nurses and the doctors and even vets hanging out. It's it's going to be all, it already is all hands on deck in, in you know, places like uh, uh, New York. But, uh, you know, that is going to be here in the Midwest in the, in the coming weeks. Let's, um, let's keep in touch, man. And I want to keep um, diving into this with you. you. You bring good perspective. I always appreciate it. Maybe we'll be able to talk some football here. I hope so in a few months. I, I don't know what I'll do. Without I hope so too. And, and, um, you know, I look at it is, is one of those situations where we have to make, we have to make, we don't really have a choice to make this, the more sacrifice we make now, yes. uh, the shorter this will be. And for me, the quicker I can see my parents who are yeah. in their mid seventies, that's the way I look at it. these people that are all still screwing around and not really that's being disciplined to this thing. Every day they do that is like, well, let's just keep pushing it back. So further down the line, I, I can't see my parents for even longer and longer um, because, you know, I'm not going to do that until I feel like, uh, you know, everyone's in the free and clear and, and um, trying to push that off as much as possible. I don't want to give anything to them because uh, that might take them down fairly quickly. They both have some health issues. And so we had an issue um, yesterday, Sage, where my, my in-laws um, who are, they're in their upper fifties. So they're not, um, mid fifties. It's not in in their seventies, but still it's a, you know, we want to be careful and they were out of toilet paper and thank God. Um, my wife had previously this year subscribed to the Amazon deal where they'll just like deliver toilet paper to your house. You know, yeah, we have so much toilet paper from that stupid thing that like we're, we're fine in that scenario, but my in-laws were out of toilet paper and they couldn't find it anywhere. So they had, they came over and we did the social distancing thing and they picked up the toilet paper and like to explain to my five-year-old, you can't go and hug them, you know, like yeah. it, it was really, yeah. uh, that was, it was a, it was a moment for me, like a real, like, um, man, this is really, uh, my parents are three hours away. So I'll go months at a time without seeing them. But for my five-year-old to see her grandma and grandpa right in front of her and she can't go hug them. Like that was a mm-hmm. real eye-opening experience for me. Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of those. Um, I, I, there's already, I feel like I've had a lot of experiences already where I remember them uh, probably for the rest of my life. You know, I've very randomly, I bought a bike um, about two, three months ago. And it was a used bike. They had sort of redone all the gears and everything. And I've been driving, riding that thing around. And I'd, I'll stop at friends' houses that live just sort of in my neighborhood or even my kids' friends, parents who I regularly am dealing with every day with school pickups or sports or coaching or whatever it might be. But I, you know, I, I, uh, stand on the sidewalk and I just talk to them just to catch up, to get that people time and, uh, changing all of our lives, uh, you know, around as you know, we have all these weird and memorable and some and many times sad moments. And, and I, we, we get the, the most vulnerable, uh, we have to really, really protect. And so if we all do our part, the more we're protecting the most vulnerable of our society, which our country doesn't do a great job of, uh, you know, protecting old people, uh, and even caring for young people. I mean, we don't do always a great job of that. And this is more than ever time to, to care for our most vulnerable, 
which is a lot of our older people or people who are just sick or people who just aren't, aren't healthy. Um, this is a very scary time for them. Well said, my friend. We appreciate your time. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me on, Chris.